0: So, welcome to CotyCast, the podcast for debate, discussion and analysis of issues related to geriatric and general medicine. So, it's Nick, Christina and Emma today. So, hi everyone. Hello. Um, And this is one of our podcasts in the series of what we've learned this week. So, that can be tips that we've taken from the wards, from reading, from Twitter. Um, So, I'm on maternity leave at the moment, so I'm not on the wards. So, my tip is coming from the BMJ, because I was going through a big stack of them and I found a really good uh, educational part, a 10-minute consultation on acute vertigo, which has got a good infographic that I'll um, uh, link at the end of the podcast. I don't know how you guys feel when you pick up a patient who's got dizziness on the take. Yeah, it's a challenging um, one for me. Yeah, Yeah. me too. I think probably because in my head there's so many causes, I'm worried about missing a serious one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the same time feeling, oh, I can't. Kind of investigate every single person yeah, with sure. <laughs> yeah, sure, an MRI.
1: Exactly,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can be quite tricky to get the the history. Mm-hmm. Um, so this infographic is I found it really useful because it goes through symptoms that you'd elicit in the history um, and kind of that might point you in, in a direction of a possible cause. So to think about. So I suppose if we kind of just go through it, one of the causes um, of a vertigo would be a posterior stroke. And what do you, what kind of symptoms if a patient was telling you would, would ring alarm bells for you guys, to, kind of to consider a stroke?
1: So sudden onset would be the one yeah. I would think about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually. Long-lasting, isn't it? It doesn't come and go. Yeah, I guess
1: so. Yeah, not not necessarily positional or anything like that. Um, yeah,
0: and I suppose if they've got any other neurological symptoms, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can have said obviously numbness, weakness, sensory loss, facial numbness, um, double vision, um, and mm. I suppose it's who your patient is. It's hard for us because we're dealing with the elderly, mm-hmm. so they're probably all more at risk of having stroke. I suppose if they've got any other risk factors, yeah. diabetes mm-hmm. and high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smokers, mm-hmm. um, and that's I think the incidence of that is about eighteen in a hundred thousand population for a posterior circulation stroke, and that's the one that I'm always scared of missing mm-hmm. because you don't want to send somebody home.
1: Yeah,
0: you don't know. Do I need to speak to the stroke consultant? Do I need to mm-hmm. refer on? So that's the one that I'm always um, kind of worried about. Do you have any? Tips when you see people.
1: No, I, I think I think it's looking at, at the patient as a whole and trying to figure out um, how this came about, whether they've had it before, um, their risk factors, and then whether it's come on very very suddenly um, yeah. or whether it's come on gradually.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and another, so one of the other causes of which we've probably all heard of is BPPV, and that stands for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. So unlike when we're discussing the stroke, that is vertical triggered by a head position. Um and did have you seen that often presenting kind of acutely? I'm not sure I've I've seen a case of it before. I mean I know the sort
2: of quintessential description is the turning over in bed and it yeah. comes on suddenly. Um, either I've not been very good at picking them up or I've just not not come across it in my
0: wee career so far. Yeah. I think I've seen it more in falls and syncope clinic yes. than acute. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if you think the same.
1: Well I think um a lot of people who have vertigo it because it gets it classically gets better, doesn't it, over a period mm-hmm. of a few seconds once they Got out of bed or stopped rolling over, then it's often dealt with in primary care a lot Mm. more. Yes, absolutely. Um, So we're less exposed to it. But what's really interesting there, I'm just reading over your shoulder, is that it's significantly more common, isn't it? So 600 per 100,000 of the population compared compared to 18. 18. Yeah. But you know, my first Mm. question whenever I see someone with dizziness is if they've had a stroke. Had they had a stroke? Whereas actually, Mm. what you should be looking for is the more common benign. But yeah, um, then those patients may be the
2: ones that are being filtered out by. Primary exactly, yeah, so yeah. we are seeing a skewed kind yeah, of population absolutely. in the hospital so mm.
0: typically it's as you said short comes and mm. goes, it's positional so triggered by bending, rolling mm. over in bed mm. looking up and um, I was watching um, or listening to a podcast where someone was talking about vertigo and they said that we should be doing a dicks hole pack on everyone who comes mm. in with dizziness because it's so common to have BPPV mm. to to see if, if there is any nystagmus there, and I think oh that's something I do in Falls and Syncope Clinic, but I'm not I don't often do that acutely.
1: No, I, I would sometimes do it, but I mm. um I find it I find, it's challenging to do. Yeah, on the it is challenging to do on especially in MAU where yeah. it's you know, and sometimes you're seeing these patients in a chair in a little yeah. room on MAU, so yeah, it's it's, it's very tricky it is times, tricky. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And um, and then so some slightly less common, um, so vestibular migraine um, which I must admit I've not really I'm pretty sure I've never seen one of those no, no. <laughs> I would, I've never diagnosed that myself <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm just reading about it now really but yeah so that would be some classic features of um, migraine so a headache, although you can get a headache with stroke as well photophobia, phonophobia and nausea, and their episodes may last minutes to days um and they are also motion sensitive and they feel tired mm. and I suppose they might have a history previous personal history or family mm. history of migraines. So it's one to consider. Um but potentially in the elder who've never had a migraine before, it wouldn't mm. probably mm. be top you have, of I, like, your list to, it would be to, yeah. yeah to label
1: it that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah it's probably one to label yeah. once you've all exactly. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and then uh, vestibular
1: neuronitis. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, what Very do you think dif- th- I really struggle to differentiate the two, to be honest, yeah. I n- and I know that the falls of syncope doctors will be cringing at that, but um, <laughs> uh, I, as much as I read about it, or as, as many talks that I go to, I really struggle to differentiate the yeah. two. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. so they're, what they say in this infographic is um, the symptoms that kind of point you into the direction of that might be loss of balance and vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's confirmed by the presence of horizontal, unidirectional nystagmus. So that means that the movement will always be in one direction, irrespective of, of where the eyes are looking. Mm. Mm. I do find that quite hard as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important. the important thing is to look at the history factors there. Exactly. So, you know, that's, that's why this is useful, isn't it? Because it's important when you see, instead of getting bogged down in, oh my goodness, there's so many different reasons why they might be dizzy, let's properly take a good history yeah. and it might help. I think well, this
0: is what this infographic is really highlighting, is the uh, important points to el- try and elicit from the history. Exactly. Not just they're dizzy, yeah. you know, what are the associated symptoms. Don't
1: jump straight into an examination of a head impulse test. Yeah, yes, yeah.
0: exactly, yeah. exactly. And then obviously there's very rare things like cerebellopontine angle uh, tumour, but you tend to get hearing loss, facial numbness and it might be progressive kind of hearing loss. And that's very rare compared to the other causes, Mm -hmm. um, but something to consider. Um, But we'll put a link to the infographic because I thought it was just a really useful visual aid to to help you kind of clarify in your mind the different causes of uh, vertigo. And I think we've got a mini gem Called Shake Rattle and Roll. Yes. About uh, BPPV. Yes, Yeah so, the Epley. Yeah. Yeah, and the Epley. So definitely check that out as well.
1: Absolutely. We can link it, can't we?
0: Yeah.
2: Magic.
1: Great.
0: Right. Right. And um, so, so my what
2: I've learnt this week. Again, <laughs> I'm also on maternity leave, so i not on the on the wards. Um, but is it Harry for some McLary? reason, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, for some reason, what came to my mind is. I don't think anyone takes bisphosphonates properly, uh, so I read um, on um, on nice a b- a bit, little bit about it and, and looked into the the textbook way that you should take your bisphosphonate tablets. And given that this is a seriously commonly prescribed mm. um, tablet alendronate or risedronate in um, in both primary and secondary care with with elderly people, um, I wonder if anyone once I read about it actually does it properly so um, I think we know a a few of of the things but I'll, I'll go through I'll go through everything so it must be taken on an empty stomach as the absorption is affected by food drink and other drugs including the calcium supplements which are probably likely to be concurrently prescribed so coffee orange juice they reduce by availability by 60% so it should be taken before breakfast and 30 minutes before food and tablets uh, they, you must not lie down for 30 minutes so it shouldn't be taken before getting up in the morning so I imagine quite a lot of elderly people need to take their painkillers or any other medication before they get out of bed in the morning so how they can you know manage to take a tablet upright 30 minutes before any other tablet food or drink I imagine is quite challenging um, and difficulty complying with or following these instructions, an alternative medication or formulation may, may need to be looked into. Um, in the example of the patient that needs painkillers to get out of bed, or um,
0: is PD taking meds, yeah.
2: medication, yeah, PD meds or medication that needs you to have a full stomach, um, or uh, or you know, patients on on I don't know how how they manage when they're on ca- calcium supplements as well. It just I don't think I could do it. (laughs) Um, Another uh, important point I wanted to mention was just to um, always bear in mind that previous GI ulcer surgery or esophageal problems contraindicate bisphosphonates, so they are important to think about. And also, uh, maintaining good oral hygiene with regular dental Mm. checkups and informing dentists that you are on this medication. Those are things that I perhaps. I'm not that consistent at relaying to patients and their relatives as well, because obviously not always the patient manages the yeah. medication. And that's for osteonecrosis, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. That's what they. I remember in, a, in an osteoporosis clinic that I went to, the consultant asked me, what are their teeth like? And it's mm-hmm. you know it's an important factor. Mm-hmm. that I hadn't really thought about it. But it comes back to the point that we prescribe these things for patients, mm-hmm. but we don't give them. Yeah. No, it's ter- yeah. we, we
0: do i I'm definitely guilty yeah. of not telling someone how to take their medication yeah yeah and I'm, if they can't take it thirty
2: minutes before anything else, first thing in the morning, it has to be either two hours after or two hours before anything else, so they need a four hour window but they're not going to eat drink or take any medication which yeah I just yeah <laughs> I
0: it really does make you realize why yeah you know, it, people would struggle to mm-hmm. be, you know, to take yeah. be, what we call be compliant with the medication, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, no wonder. I do no fault of their own, you yeah. anyway. um, know. Yeah. That's and good. To get that, good yeah. learning point for all of yeah. us, I think. Yeah. We need to tell our patients about taking medication, how to take it. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Right, I've uh, learned a little bit this week. Um, and how comfortable are we dealing with symptom control as an inpatient at the end of life? Relatively comfortable. I feel like I
2: am, but a the case yeah. by case basis, it you know uh, could become more challenging. Sure,
1: yeah. but we get a lot of good teaching yes. and a lot of there's Breakfast a lot of good resources. Yeah. There's palliative care nurses who can help us with end yeah. of life care, and I think that generally, you know, we we do it quite well mm-hmm. as an inpatient. Yeah, parent. yeah. How about disease specific? Uh, so diseases. Specific diseases at the end of life. So I'm talking a little bit about diabetes in particular. Mm, yeah. What do we do? Tricky. Yes. Tricky, because
0: you don't want to... Absolutely. And I feel like you get, get a very
2: different opinion from geriatrician versus diabetologist versus yes. palliative care. Yes,
1: exactly. Which is why it would be good to have a good yeah. resource out there, wouldn't mm. there? and there is brilliant yes and we tell can link us more. It. tell it. Yeah. thank you thank you good segue so the North of England Cancer Network Palliative and End of Life Care Guidelines is something that uh, is easily accessible via Google and we I can love post it. a link we I use love them it all the time yeah. because the palliative care nurses give us them in booklet form don't yeah. is that
0: the yellow book yes yeah. it's the
1: yellow book yeah. used indeed. to be
0: purple yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I have one in my bag so I just there have all the time on call and everything
1: <laughs> okay there's a lovely flow chart here for patients with diabetes um, as they're approaching the last few days of life okay so what do you do if someone has got type 2 diabetes that is diet controlled
0: stop checking their blood sugars
1: yes you can stop checking their blood sugars and um, if uh and you can indeed discuss it with the patient and the patient's yeah. relatives yeah. Uh, especially and there's also and um, if they have if they're on metformin or if they, you would if they have perhaps got some symptoms to suggest uh, diabetes, then you could um, agree with the patient to decide whether you're going to do a random BM or a urine dipstick, which might okay. be less yeah, uh, invasive and have a look. And then yeah, you could yeah. make a decision to see if they've got more two plus of um, if they've got two plus or more of glucose, then you could check a, a BM, mm-hmm. um, which would be really interesting. And you could mm-hmm. you know you could add in some oral treatments then, depending uh, on what the results are. Mm-hmm. So what about if they've got diabetes and they're on a sulfonylurea?
0: Um, I suppose they'd be more at risk of hypoglycemic mm-hmm. yeah. in the event of they're not eating as much towards yeah, exactly, the end of life. So tailor yeah. it to current diet. Yeah, tailor food it to current, intake, yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. Tailor it to diet and you could, um, um if they've got no hypoglycemic um, hypoglycemia symptoms, then you could have a little look at the dose of the medications mm-hmm. as well, dose of the glycosides. Um, but if there's no hypoglycemia, you could think about changing to... um. Uh, you could think about changing to insulin if mm-hmm. needs be, and there's a really good tool there uh, for how to okay. change oh, insulin. that's so.
0: interesting, yeah.
1: What about uh, insulin-controlled diabetes?
0: Oh, this is the one where I dread. I suppose it, it would depend if they
2: are type 1 or type 2. Uh, type 1 will have had a lifetime of checking and giving mm-hmm. insulin, and taking that away actually might be in a huge upheaval at the end of life, and it might be important to them and their family yeah. to continue. Type two, I mean if there's a, a dietary element, if you know, if their food intake's massively going down, their insulin requirement might be going down.
0: So I would probably seek advice of the diabetes <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Listener. Exactly. Just, <laughs> you, you don't want to do more harm that they yeah. hypo, they ha- go into DKA, yeah. but you don't yeah. want it to be symptomatic. stressing painful, distressing condition. Yeah, either. exactly. Mm. But you don't want to do blood sugar tests all the time.
1: I know. Look, it's, it's so difficult, yeah. and I'm not going to go through the nitty gritty mm. because no. it is quite. Um, it, there there are lots of very good instructions mm. out there, but basically, um, you need to tailor it to each patient. Yeah. You know, yeah. All right. So we tailor the patient's care depending on their symptoms and their wishes, mm-hmm. and then we also use the resources available to us, like the palliative care nurses and the diabetes nurses, mm. but. Phenomenal resource because it just makes things a little bit clearer doesn't yeah, it? because right. it's such a hazy area. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. So that was I thought was really interesting.
0: We'll put we'll um add a link for, for that resource onto the um, end of this podcast. That's a really good one, I think, yeah. actually. I'm gonna look that up. Um, so finally I thought I'd just do a second one Ooh, about bonus. <laughs> restless leg syndrome. Oh. <laughs> I wonder if our GP colleagues are much more comfortable dealing with this than we are in secondary care. I mean, I see it on people problem list, and but I must admit, I don't probably go into it that much. No, no.
1: Think? The Parkinson's specialist doctors, yes. deal with it quite regularly, don't they? Yeah. Um, but I, it's not something I'm comfortable no, with. Yet, so no,
0: no. So I was just reading that it's estimated a prevalence of 10 to 35% in individuals over 65. So it's quite common. Um. And they think it may be due to reduced dopamine response or dopamine levels in the central nervous system. Most causes are idiopathic, but do you know of any other or is there anything that that you've come across or have heard that can cause it, which comes as a secondary cause? There's some surprising ones here, I
1: thought. Mm-hmm. Um what about
0: some sort of vitamin or mineral deficiency?
1: Vitamin D, is it? Mm-hmm. No. B twelve.
0: Um so, stop guessing <laughs> yes. iron deficiency, deficiency uremia which I think I remember yeah. from my renal job I'm going to say I think I remember um, <laughs> apparently folate deficiency um, and some drugs phenytoin, amitriptyline, beta blockers uh, lithium which oh, I yeah think
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but iron deficiency anemia was the one that yes. surprised me so just to recap um, restless legs it's a desire to move limbs associated with it's made worse by rest, so often people get up and walk around in the night if they have it to try and relieve it. It's a motor restlessness, and the symptoms are obviously worse at night. Um, but you should be checking a ferritin level on people who have restless legs. Very interesting. Um, you should be investigating why they've got iron deficiency anemia if you find one. And actually, it recommends supplementing, and um, giving them iron supplements if their ferritin's 50 or less so that's not necessarily would put you it's yeah. on the lower end but not yeah.
1: kind it's of not on the, the diagnostic guidelines yeah. yeah absolutely
0: which I thought was interesting yeah, yeah. Interesting. so you should be doing that before you start any of the first line treatments mm-hmm. the medical treatments which are kind of Rapinarol or I know and they, I mean they're side effects yeah exactly so and conservative think,
1: measures first yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and I was thinking I don't think I would have done that before but now I will yes yeah top and we tip top tip, top tip. Top tip. yeah um, and I think that's all we've got for today. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Um, and you'll be able to find this uh, podcast on iTunes and the website at www.amy.org.uk. And our Twitter handle is at elderlymeded. And we'd love any feedback or if you've got any um, future topics that you want to talk to, want us to talk about. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks.